Hello from Hollywood. Quite literally, I am in Hollywood. I am not in Burbank and calling it Hollywood. I am in Hollywood. You might think, oh, fancy. Uh, let me tell you something. Now that I'm here, not necessarily so. But I'm in Hollywood. And the song you're listening to is Nellie Kelly, I Love You, as performed by Billy Murray. Oh, Bill Murray. Oh. From uh, Groundhog's Day. That's weird. Okay. As performed by a very, very, very young Bill Murray and the American Quartet. And as written by George M. Cohan, a guy we featured on the podcast before, he wrote the lovely, if deeply off-putting song, You Remind Me of My Mother. And I have chosen him because George M. Cohan has a star on the Walk of Fame. Now... I now, as of six days ago, live, temporarily at least, kind of near the Walk of Fame. I actually walk down it every day to get to the subway to go to work, which is how I do it, because I'm committed to doing this Los Angeles thing wrong. I walk down the Walk of Fame every day, and what I've learned is that about half the people are people I have never heard of before. Because sure, there's, you know... Marilyn Monroe, and then Martin Scorsese, but then it'll be Charles Bickford, and I I am sorry, Charles, I I just do not know who you are. Could have Googled you. Didn't do it. It's very weird. Then it'll be Jimi Hendrix, and then Madge Bellamy, and then Orson Welles, and then Spring Byington. And this is (laughs) this is stunning to me, because here I am a screenwriter in Hollywood. Try it's just it, it. These jobs are hard to get. It took me a long time. And I'm trying, and I, I've, I'm on a show now, and I get to write for it. That's all very cool. Everyone on the Walk of Fame is somebody who who really hit the ball way out of the park. They succeeded enough in their field that they got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Their industry recognized them enough to say we need to put your name in cement in front of a McDonald's, actually in front of a vape shop, because it turns out 90% of California's economy is marijuana-based, but in front of uh, some distinguished establishment that sells burgers and or weed for all of eternity. They reached that point, and yet still, here I am, 60, 70, 80 years later, going, I don't know who you are, dude. (laughs) It's the fucking, it's not the Hollywood Walk of Fame, it's the fucking Walk of Ozymandias. Just everyone who thought they were going to leave a mark And even so, they didn't. So even if everything goes (laughs) unbelievably well for me, if things go better than I could ever imagine, if absolutely everything breaks right for me, and I really make a career and tell that I've given a star of the Walk of Fame, it's also, who fucking gives a shit? Because there's just going to be some jackass a couple decades from now going, Jeff Murr? Who the fuck is Jeff Murr? And I guess my point is that it's just abundantly clear that no matter what you do, You will not leave a lasting mark, and you will soon be food for maggots. Now, let's get this comedy podcast started. Hello, I'm Jeff Maurer. You're listening to the I Might Be Wrong podcast, which is the audio version of written content that can be found on my Substack at imightbewrong.substack.com. This is arriving a few days late. I apologize for that. I did move in the last week, and then, as you can maybe tell by my voice, immediately caught a cold as I got off the plane. Wasn't COVID, just a regular cold, but I couldn't talk for about three days. And if you're thinking everything sounds different, well, it's partly because I'm in a different room and it's partly because 
I'm just getting over a cold. So thank you for your patience as I adjust to this new schedule and a new coast and new room and new place where I have already had a guy literally give me driving directions from one side of a parking lot to another side of a parking lot, even though I was quite obviously on foot. Today's episode is called The Tariff Debate is Stupid Even by Our Standards. I wanted to write this one because inflation is on everyone's minds, and inflation is obviously mostly a monetary policy thing, less so fiscal policy, but many people have pointed out, you know, President Biden, if you wanted to reduce inflation at least a little bit, one thing you could do is get rid of these stupid fucking tariffs that Donald Trump put on in 2018. And the debate around this has been, to my mind, pretty illogical, and I, I really... I really don't do well with bad logic. Something you should know about me. I don't do well with bad logic. Even if it's a small thing, I just, it gnaws at me. And this is kind of gnawing at me, so I decided to write about it. The title is, The Tariff Debate is Stupid Even by Our Standards. Subheading, I'm beginning to think that Donald Trump was not the brilliant tactician I thought he was. And that is a Simpsons quote. If you hear something from me and it sounds like a quote, it's either the Coen brothers or the Simpsons. This one was Simpsons. Possibly arrested development. I like to throw a curveball in there sometimes. So here's a thought experiment. Would you rather be attacked by 83 snakes or 80 snakes? Here's another way to think about it. Would you rather drink 83 milliliters of piss or 80 milliliters? Here's another one. Would you rather watch George Clooney's The Midnight Sky? For 83 minutes or 80 minutes? Now, these feel like easy questions to me, but Biden is struggling with a similar question when it comes to tariffs. President Biden could slightly reduce inflation by removing the tariffs that President Trump imposed in 2018. The effect would be small. Small. A study by the Peterson Institute for International Economics calculated a 0.3% reduction in the consumer price index. So that means that today's 8.3% inflation rate would become 8.0, hence the numbers in the previous paragraph. A separate study had a similar finding. It estimated a 1% reduction in inflation over a longer time frame. So all of this is to say, this is not a magic bullet that would end inflation. Though I would also like to say, magic doesn't exist, so neither do magic bullets, and thus all change is incremental, and therefore to oppose something because it is, quote, not a magic bullet is to establish grounds for opposing the entire concept of progress. The non-monetary policy, policy options at Biden's disposal, monetary policy is what the Fed does, fiscal policy is what Congress and the White House do taxes and spending. So the non-monetary policy options, the non-Fed options at Biden's disposal to fight inflation, they do definitely suck. Uh, allow me to create a visual approximation of the full buffet of non-monetary policy options the White House has at its disposal. So for a buffet, picture a literal buffet, like old country buffet, and there are many trays, 20, 30 trays. Picture all of them completely fucking empty except for one lonely dinner roll somewhere in that large buffet. That dinner roll 
That's it. That is the only thing in the buffet. And in this analogy, President Biden is starving for a dinner roll. In fact, the American people need dinner rolls. The lack of a dinner roll is eroding real wages and making people angry. Republicans, of course, are gearing up to promise voters an avalanche of roles and to argue that Democrats' failure to deliver roles proves that they are unfit to govern. Now, personally, I think we should eat the fucking roll. Seems kind of obvious, and it also drives me kind of nuts that the main argument against eating the roll seems to be, yeah, but you know, it's only one roll. But one is more than zero, you see. What is more than zero is my point. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back a little bit. This insipid debate about tariffs is only the latest stupid chapter in a four-year brain-dead policy odyssey for morons. Let's recall that these tariffs were Trump trade advisor Peter Navarro's brainchild, the emphasis on the brain, emphasis on the child. Now, Navarro is best known now for being indicted for contempt of Congress, which does unfortunately obscure the fact that he is quite possibly the worst economist alive. Having Peter Navarro and Donald Trump cooperate on trade policy is like having Oasis and Yoko Ono form a supergroup. Except in the case of Trump and Navarro, there is nothing any of us can do to avoid this collaboration of the damned. Now, Navarro... He is an interesting guy. He famously misunderstands a basic macroeconomic concept about how national wealth is determined. And if you go to the written version of this article, I have many links of economists being stunned by the revelation that he does not get this basic thing. It's just, I've got four links to articles of economists basically going, holy shit, a guy with a PhD doesn't get this. And here's the thing that he doesn't get. GDP is calculated by The following equation, which will not be on the test, so don't worry about it too much. GDP equals consumption plus investment plus government spending plus the net of exports minus imports. That's basic. That's basic enough that even I, who I always try to remind people, am an economist, I do not have a PhD, even I know this. Now, that equation by itself is not important. What's important is that Navarro and Trump fixate on that last part, the exports minus imports part. They look at that, and if you're looking at that equation, you will realize that if you import more than you export, which the United States does, then the bold part of that equation is going to be a negative number. That is going to make it look like a trade deficit is reducing GDP. But that is not how to interpret that number. As explained... (laughs) by the many, many links from stunned economists that I included in the article. The imports minus exports formulation, that basically just exists for accounting purposes. That's just so that you get an accurate accounting of GDP, an accurate accounting of how much your country made. It tells you basically nothing about the state of the economy. You could have a really healthy economy and be running a trade deficit, or you could have a not at all healthy economy and be running a trade surplus. Both those things are possible. That part of the equation doesn't tell you anything about that. But if you are a complete fucking moron, or in the case of Trump and Navarro, if you are two complete fucking morons, then you will look at that number, that negative number, and think, gee, if it was positive, we would all be rich. 
and you will then embark on a misguided tariff regime to try to force that number into positive territory, which, to quote one of my favorite lines from Veep, is a lot like using a croissant as a dildo. It doesn't do the job, and it makes a fucking mess. And Trump's trade war has gone about as well as could be expected, which is to say it has gone very badly. It cost the United States an estimated 300,000 jobs in its first year. Isn't this supposed to be about jobs? Isn't this about bringing jobs back? Well, it cost us 300,000 jobs in its first year. The Brookings Institute found that manufacturing jobs, isn't this supposed to be about manufacturing jobs? The Brookings Institute found that manufacturing jobs in the Rust Belt were hit especially hard. Soybean farmers did not do well. They suffered a direct hit from retaliatory tariffs. The tariffs also failed on their own terms. Our trade deficit is now larger than it was before the tariffs went into effect. In early 2020, Trump bragged that the tariffs had pressured China into signing a deal in which China agreed to buy $200 billion of U.S. goods and services, and China signed that deal, and then they just did not buy the stuff which is very China, and you also have to admit also pretty goddamn baller. Now, basically any economist would have predicted that this is more or less how things would go. Unfortunately, Trump happened to hire Peter Navarro, the one economist who seems to have gotten his PhD from the claw game at the bowling alley. And some people argue that inflation concerns are a smokescreen being used by people who always opposed the tariffs. And I do have to confess, I do dislike the tariffs for reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with inflation. I do indeed have a bone to pick with this policy that I think quite clearly hurts more people than it helps. Guilty as charged in that regard. But it is still true (laughs) that scrapping the tariffs would help inflation a little bit. The you oppose tariffs for other reason argument, that feels like a trick to me. It's like this policy is bad for 50 reasons. And when I cite one of those reasons, then the counter argument becomes, yeah, but you actually oppose the policy for one of the other 49 reasons. It's an awfully clever little two-step. I'll give them that. Though I do feel that the people advocating for the policy that's bad in dozens of ways they should probably be the ones explaining themselves. And in the interest of steel-manning the other side's argument, at least a little bit, the not-totally-terrible argument for keeping the tariffs comes from U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai. Now, Tai, from what I've read, seems to be the main advocate for tariffs in the Biden administration. She reportedly wants to keep some or all of the tariffs in place, to give her leverage in negotiations with China. Now, I I get that. China respects trade rules about as much as Bostonians respect traffic laws. It would be good if we could get China to comply with international norms. To do that, we really need three things. Number one, we need a body for resolving trade disputes. Number two, we need a pan-Asian trade pact that reduces China's leverage. And number three, we need names for the first two things other than the World Trade Organization and the Trans-Pacific Partnership 
in order to obscure the fact that we already fucking did this and then walked away from all of our hard work for reasons that I will probably never understand. And I am skeptical that Trump's tariffs will pry anything big out of China. The tariffs have been in place for four years, and all we've gotten is a promise to buy stuff that ended up being about as credible as a deadbeat dad's promise to take his kids to Disneyland. Catherine Tai says she wants a broad reimagining of our trade relationship with China, and I do think that's the right way to go. Our issues with China are varied and many, and they require a multifaceted agreement. But that agreement is going to take time to develop, and the tariffs are in effect now. Past a certain point, the damage we inflict on ourselves is greater than whatever benefit the policy can leverage out of China, and my suspicion is that we passed that point a while ago. And I will make another confession about my motives here. One reason that I like talking about trade in the context of inflation is that it reinforces the link between trade and low prices. It is trendy in lefty circles right now to sneer at the seemingly small consumer benefits of trade. Bernie Sanders, for example, his stump speech included a riff about how better shampoo and deodorant don't greatly enhance our quality of life. Now, it was a bit difficult to tell what the hell grandpa was talking about in that rant. And I do feel, by the way, that you can only believe that deodorant does not contribute to quality of life if you had not had the horrible experience of trying Toms of Maine for a little while. Nonetheless, Bertie's message is that trade screws the working man in exchange for trivial gains. And I feel that talking about trade and inflation together pushes back against that simplistic narrative by emphasizing that when prices go up, real wages go down. And caveat, inflation and prices are not quite the same thing, but they are both about purchasing power. Trade lowers prices in developed countries. It also lifts scores of people out of poverty in undeveloped countries. It does also grow the economy in both countries. That is the upside. The downside is that certain jobs in developed countries do get displaced, and that does suck very, very hard if you happen to have one of those jobs. We should not ignore that downside, but we should also give appropriate weight to the upside instead of just kind of waving it away as some kind of frivolous consumer penny-pinching. So, as I read this, Biden has ordered a comprehensive review of the tariffs, which I take as a Washington, D.C. euphemism for, I will do this thing as soon as this committee gives me political cover by finding the thing that I know they will find. Biden will probably repeal some of the tariffs in a couple of months. If he does that, that will represent a parcel extraction of the national penis from our own zipper, and it will probably reduce inflation a smidge. In terms of impact, Tariff removal is far from the most important policy, far from it. But in terms of being a completely obvious thing to do, from my perspective, this requires as little brain power as the amount of brain power that went into the decision to begin with. And that's the episode. I hope my cold wasn't too annoying. I listened 
to some of this audio as I was recording it, and I, I still kind of sound like I'm wearing nose plugs, which, of course, I'm extra self-conscious about, thanks to the guy last week who said, hey, congrats on the new gig. P.S. Please focus on the writing, because I don't listen to your podcast, because your voice sounds like a dentist drill. Well, thank you for the well wishes, sir. The well wishes and something new to be self-conscious about for the rest of my life. Anyway, that's all for this week. I will be back next week with more comedy, politics, tales from Hollywood, and reports on the viruses coursing through my body. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and bye for now.